The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, thank you again for being here with us today. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online. My name's Chase. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here, and, and you've caught us kind of right in the middle of a series on Ezra and Nehemiah. Today, we make the jump from Ezra to Nehemiah, and we'll be in Nehemiah, uh, really the first chapter through most of the second chapter. But before we do that, we are going to hear from a sister in Ukraine. If you've been at, at TBC or part of TBC for any amount of time, you know we've got long-standing and deep relationship with seven sister churches, with a seminary in Ukraine, and uh, these are folks that we dearly love, some really good friends in Christ. And so we've been hearing reports since the invasion began from our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, and one of our a uh, sister sent a video who, uh, this when Danny and I met her, she, she was not a believer and she uh, trusted Christ along with her husband. She married into a family that has been a friend and supporter and encourager of Temple Bible Church for many, many years in a city in Ukraine that we love. And so this week she sent a video with an update on what's going on and then how we could pray. So instead of praying what we normally do after our second worship song, we're going to pray for Ukraine here in just a moment, but we want to hear from Alina first. So we're going to look at this video and listen and then pray together. Dear sisters and brothers, uh, take our Warm greetings uh, today is uh, the sixth day of the war since Russia attacked Ukraine. Thanks God, our family are safe till now, but we really don't know what can be happen the next minute. It looks like like a hell on earth. A lot of cities, a lot of infrastructures, houses destroyed, a lot of people and children killed. Russia kills civilians, use bomb attack to hospitals, to kindergartens, to schools, uh, to ambulances, uh, to houses. And it seems they, that they really don't care whom to shot and to use this attack. But the biggest problem is uh, the Russia people find um, many of them uh, still thinking that they help us to save us from our government. I must say that it really looks like a hybrid war. On the other hand, a lot of Russia soldiers killed. 
they our earth are full of blood now and uh, what can I say we just ask you to pray just pray for spiritual awakening of our country our people for Russia people because they will uh, do his job and a lot of souls will have never seen the, the salvation and uh, please pray for for my country for Russia people Let's pray for babies who are born in this minute, minute in bomb shelters. For my president, for the government. To make correct decisions. Please pray for people who who have no hope, who lose, uh, who lost uh, their natives, who lost their houses and buildings. Um, for uh, also, please pray for Christians uh, who are still in spiritual uh, sleeping. It's a great problem of nowadays. Please pray for. Um, Please pray also to avoid an information attack and a lot of uh, lies, uh, information or fakes that Russia planning to use uh, against Ukraine. And uh, please pray and also um, today they uh, destroyed a TV television. In Kyiv, in the central capital of Ukraine, and they also plan to do this in other cities. So we're afraid, to, and also please ask you to pray just to avoid this attack in our town today. I just want you to know that we, that we love you. We wish you to. Keeping Father God hands with His, with with His great love, to be in His hands, safe, with no fear, no tears, no suffering, and we really hope to see you one more time, soonest. Thank you. No, so hope to see you soon. Bye bye. So here is a, a sister calling us to pray and asks us to pray for lots of things, but that prayer is bookended by a prayer for spiritual awakening in her country, for Christians who are sleeping to be awakened. And you, you understand. Uh, 
she and and she would tell you, others would tell you, thousands like them are asking for this in cities where air raid sirens are going off. And, and then she's saying, and, and we're praying for you too, that, you'll, that we would be kept safe in the love of God. That we'd have no tears and no fear that God would protect us. So we want to take just a moment to pray for these brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We have received reports all week long, Danny was telling me this morning that uh, in their evening, some of our brothers and sisters in the main city where we have sister churches were watching our service so that they could pray with us. And then uh, Warsaw Church of the Bible or Warsaw Bible Church has, uh, has a Ukrainian service with normally about two or 300 people. They had a thousand people there today. So maybe the Lord is beginning in this awful moment, uh, awakening among Ukrainians. But could we just pray, ask God to bring an end to this violence, an end to this invasion, that peace would reign and that God would reign over Ukraine, that his church would continue to be faithful as they are. They continue to send us messages. God is with us. God's good to us. We trust him. We know he's not left us. So just right where you are as families, would you just pray for Ukraine and then I'll close our time and we'll look in the word together. Let's pray. God, we humble ourselves before you, God. We know that there are, there are problems in the world that we cannot solve, and we need you. God, we pray for Ukraine. We pray, as Alina asked us to, for awakening, God. For awakening of the lost to life in Christ, for awakening of Christians who would be spiritually asleep, God. We pray, Father, for an end to violence, God, that you would stop the forces of evil in our world. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray with thanksgiving for the church in Ukraine, for how our dear brothers and sisters are rising to this awful occasion with love and hope in Christ, with care for those in need, with grace and truth. And God, as they continue to minister, as we continue to support them, God, would Jesus be known and magnified, not just in Ukraine, but throughout Eastern Europe, God. 
As we look in your word today, help us to be the sort of people who rise and build as well in our city for your glory and for the joy of our city. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are supporting our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We wanted to wait and hear from them a specific and repeatable way that we could support them. And so if you want to support the work that they are doing among refugees in Poland, as well as getting food, supplies, and sharing the gospel in their cities, you can make checks to TBC with Ukraine Relief, and 100% of that will go to help churches in Ukraine. Today at three in the Commons, we are going to pray for Ukraine. would love for all of, all of you to join us as we... Pray for them. Well, let's look in Nehemiah. Let's look in Nehemiah chapter one. We'll read uh, chapter one or most of it, and then we'll dive into one and two together. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. So he asked them, how are the Jews doing back in Jerusalem who escaped? He has been his entire life in captivity in Babylon. He's a servant of the king. We're gonna find out later. He's a cupbearer of the king, but he's asking how are his brothers in Jerusalem? And Hanani says to him in verse three, the remnant there in the providence who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of your people Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though you're dispersed, be under the farthest skies, no matter how far away you've gone. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen to make my name dwell. So he goes on to say, let your ear be attentive. Let your eye be open. Grant mercy to your servant and give him success in front of this man. And then when he ends his prayer, he says, now I was cupbearer to the king. Now, it's a fascinating thing that is happening in Nehemiah chapter one. This is the third phase of the rebuild and kind of what we looked at in Ezra was rebuilding the temple and then rebuilding the people. Rebuilding the temple started over 80 years before we get to Nehemiah, almost 90, and it's with a guy named Zerubbabel. He leads about 50,000 people back to Jerusalem. They start to rebuild the temple. It gets sidetracked, then Ezra The priest comes and he continues building the temple. They don't quite finish, but they're getting there. And then Nehemiah is going to come and see the wall of the city in disarray. And he's going to rebuild the wall. And through the rebuilding of the wall, we're going to see the people of God rebuilt as well. There are things that we can see and learn and understand from Nehemiah that maybe would apply to us as the people of God today in Christ so that we could learn to be those who rise up and build 
And the first thing that we see is Nehemiah is concerned for others. He's concerned for others. He's in exile. He's a slave. Now, he's as a slave, he's cupbearer to the king, so he's a trusted guy. He has kind of climbed up the ranks of servanthood, but make no mistake about it, he's not where he wants to be. He's not with who he wants to be. He doesn't have the, the work that he would want to have. He's far from his home, and he's concerned for others. Our brothers and sisters in Ukraine this week, uh, it, it's been just incredibly Encouraging because the people in the best case scenario have gotten out and they're in a place that's not their home, separated from their families. They've got difficulty, gas shortages, money shortages where they are. It's overcrowded. And they're messaging Danny, messaging me, messaging others in our church going, have you heard about this guy? Well, well what about this guy? How is he? I heard he had to enlist. Do you know where he is? Is he okay? What about... What about the guy in the south who was a missionary in Crimea? Is he okay? And through that, we've been able to connect them. But here are people who are suffering, separated from those they love, and their concern is for others. And we've got some who, even this week, are making the hard decision to separate from family so that women and children may can get to safety. Others who have said, no, we as a family, we're staying in our city. We're going to minister to these people no matter what happens. It's this reflection of this kind of Nehemiah heart where in the midst of their suffering, they are concerned for others. And I I don't know about you, but I can get so preoccupied with what I'm doing and what's going on in my life that I just forget their needs around me. There's just this surreal moment I had last night I'm having a good time with my wife and my boys. Yesterday evening, we went and watched the crew play basketball, and we're having a great time, and I get a text. Pray for this city. Air raid sirens are going off. Now, I don't know about you. I've only been alive for 47 years, so some of you might have been alive to hear this, but I've never in my city heard air raid sirens are going off. And, and sometimes I get really wrapped up in small concerns and small ambitions and just my own selfishness. Ne- Nehemiah looks different than that. He's concerned, but he's not just concerned. His concern moves from asking to weeping. Verse four, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We, we don't tend to do this well. We we. Weep maybe during a new cycle and the new cycle goes away and we move to the next thing and Nehemiah is so concerned. Like Christ was moved with compassion. Like he wept over Jerusalem or when his friend Lazarus died, he was moved with compassion and he wept. He would see people without, sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion. So Nehemiah says, I wept and mourned and fasted for days. So his concern moves to weeping, his weeping moves to praying. He's concerned, but he's not just concerned, he's contrite. He's going to bow before God. And when he prays to God, when he cries out to God, there are two things he says that I don't think we should miss. Oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, that's the first thing he says who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, 
This is this powerful God. We worship God, Nehemiah worships God, and we worship God because of his power. That's one of the reasons our mind's attention and heart's affection get set on him as we worship. But we don't just worship God because of his power. We worship him because of his character too. He's the God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So Nehemiah humbles himself before God and we're gonna see he's not just concerned, he's contrite. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open. I love, he's asking God, hey, will you please listen and look to what's going on? His prayer is bookended. He says it in verse six and he says it in verse 11. Let your ear be attentive and let your eyes be open. We're gonna pray and pray and pray. That's what we're telling our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Many of you are are doing this and I want you to know that's our promise on your behalf. So we're asking you to do that day and night. We're just crying out before the Lord for these brothers and sisters who have cried out for us before the Lord many, many days. Well, what does he say? When he begins to pray, he confesses who God is and he confesses the sins of his people. Verse six, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. He's confessing the sin of Israel and he's owning it himself. He's saying, I've sinned too. Now there are are times we hear often in today's news cycles and in our culture about corporate confession. And sometimes we hear about that in poor ways and sometimes we hear about it in good ways and people can kind of go, well, what in the world? What are you talking about confessing the sins of others? I'm not doing that. But I'll tell you, Nehemiah does it. And Daniel does it. David does it. Josiah does it. You know who I never, ever hear go, I'm not confessing sin other people committed. I never hear any of God's people in his word do that. I never hear the prophets do it. I never hear the apostles do it. He's just saying, no, 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 no. Our people have sinned. And listen, I have as well. And in verse 7, He says, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules you commanded your servant Moses. God, when when I really look at your word, we've acted corruptly. Now, I hate that word corrupt because I don't like to think of myself as corrupt, but I had a couple of occasions this week to think about corruption that were kind of unpleasant. I got braces this week. And I I was telling, somebody was talking to me and I said, yeah, I'm talking funny because I have braces. And they go, no, that's not why you're talking funny. You always do, right? (laughs) But when I went to get the braces, I thought I've heard that they hurt your mouth, but they probably won't hurt mine because my teeth aren't that crooked. And then they put these things on my mouth with wire and my teeth just started hurting. One of them's loose because they were more corrupt, they were not straight. The word really in the Hebrew for iniquity that we talk about sin is to be twisted. It's not straight. And what I found out is my teeth are twisted. They're not straight, they're corrupt, but then it's worse than that. The doctor's talking to me about it and he's a friend, Dr. Knowles, and we're kind of talking about braces. Would these be good? Would would you want white? And I was like, oh yeah, that'll be great. He goes, yeah, because nobody will see them. And then I get these pure white braces on my teeth and I go stand in front of the mirror. I'm going, oh my gosh. Doc, could I get some mother of pearl braces, please? <laughs> See, because what I found out is my, my, teeth, my teeth aren't actually white, right? I thought they were pure, but they're not. You know what Isaiah 
One says, though your sins be the color of Chase's teeth, I will make them as white as snow. (laughs) I've had this great opportunity to look at a standard and go, oh, this doesn't match it. And see, in, in Babylon and in Israel where they'd abandoned the worship of God, they were just kind of walking along and tracking along with culture and things just seemed normal. Oh, we're okay. We're not like the Babylonians, right? Where God's people were Israel. They're corrupt. We're pure. And then Nehemiah, when he talks about the standard, because when he talks about corruption, it's not according to culture. It's not comparison to the Babylonians. We've acted very corruptly against you and we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant, Moses. So he's contrite before God because his heart's corrupt, his actions are corrupt, the people that he's with, the people of God, their actions are corrupt. They have not made worship the priority of their lives. And so he considers the commands of God. See, when you think about life and how it's going, How does it match up to what God says for us in his word? If I were just to look at this and go, hey, I'm a good guy. I love my wife. I'm not corrupt in my love for my wife. But then I read, as Christ loved the church. And I just want to go, oh, Laura and God, don't tell them, right? I need help. I need help. Wives, Submit your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. It's not confession time on my kids, so I'll be nice to them, right? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This is God's will that you shouldn't be sexually immoral, but live holy lives. Or as 1 Peter says, we're to guard our minds for actions, be sober-minded and alert. We're to be holy because God is holy. Well, if not your teeth, not my teeth, but if we put our hearts, our minds, our actions, our words, our attitudes up against the standard of God's word, is there anything that we just need to stop and go, oh God, we've acted corruptly. Our hearts have not been bent before you. See, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And this word that calls out corruption is also a word that calls toward covenant See, he says, we've not acted according to your word. But then in verse eight, he says, remember Moses, the commandment you gave your servant Moses. You said, if you're faithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. But no matter how far you've gone, no matter how far away you've gone, if you return to me, I'll bring you back to the place I've chosen where my name dwells. I'll bring you close to me, even if you're under the farthest sky." See, he says, these are your people. I'll scatter you among the peoples, but I'll bring you back to the place that I've chosen to dwell. So be attentive, hear and grant mercy. He's crying out to God that Jerusalem, the holy city, might be restored. Well, what happens? He says, I was cupbearer to the king. So he's asking God for mercy as he goes to this man. Well, who is this man? It's King Artaxerxes, same king as in the book of Esther, when God's people are in captivity. So Nehemiah, he's been concerned, he's been 
contrite. We're going to see as he goes before the king, he's consistent. He's not putting on a fake face. He's brokenhearted for his people. He's humbled before God. And so he goes in front of the king and he says to the king, or he hadn't been sad in the king's presence rather, and the king sees him and he notices something's wrong. Nehemiah's sad. So the king said, why is your face this sad seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. See, his heart is broken over the condition of his city. So much so that he is wearing his brokenness on his sleeve, so to speak. And the king sees it and he's scared. See, sometimes we read the Bible and we see these quote heroes in the Bible and we think I wish I could be like Nehemiah but I could never do that I'd just be so afraid I wouldn't know what to do I wish I could be like Ezra I'd just be so scared I wouldn't know what to do I wish I could be like Moses but I would just be so afraid I wish I could be like Deborah or I wish I could be like Ruth I'd just be so afraid but listen they were all afraid too he's scared he's frightened So verse three, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said, what are you requesting? What would you like? So Nehemiah says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. See, the king's right there. He's about to talk to the king, but before he talks to the king, he talks to the king, right? Danny Danny was talking this week to Sergei Marchuk, and he and Sergei are visiting back and forth, and, and Sergei, in a city that's under great duress, says, Danny, I don't know who the king of Ukraine will be tomorrow, but I know who my king is. See, Nehemiah is under great duress. If he gives the wrong word, this king will take his life. So he prays to the God of heaven. And then he trusts God to work. He prays to the God of heaven and says, King, hey, if it pleases you, here's what I'd like. I'd like a letter because I've got to go out of this province. You know me. I'm your cupbearer. These people won't know me. So I need a letter to get me on the province. And then if I'm going back, I, what I want to do is rebuild the wall of my city. It lies in ruins. So could I have a letter for, for Asaph so that we could have enough timber to rebuild the walls and also the fortress around our temple? It's broken. I'm going to need some lumber for that. And King, if I'm, if I'm going back, I want to stay. That's my home. So could I have materials to build myself a house? Well, I look at Nehemiah and think, man, I wish I had a mind like this. I wish God had given me a mind like this. Because if the king said to me, what are you asking? I don't know. See, Nehemiah has been praying, weeping for many, many days, many, many weeks, but he's made his time of praying a time of preparation. When the king asks, he's got an answer. I just wonder, is there anything you're praying for that if the Lord answered yes, you wouldn't be ready to step into right now? See, within days of being stuck in Poland, 
Some of our partners knew, well, we're gonna do this with this Bible church in Poland to help Ukrainian refugees, and here's a way that we can get funding back in to help the people who are staying behind. And and then they had set up a system, a plan. They're praying for God to help them. And so, well, we can take people to this city, and when we drop them off at this city, there's food waiting for us that we can bring back to people in our city because the grocery stores are empty. And they're seeing God provide through their prayer and through their preparation. Nehemiah is ready to do good work. People in Ukraine are ready to do good work. And I'll tell you, as long as I've been at Temple Bible Church, what I've always found here is when there are people in need, there are people who are ready to do good work. There are some apartment complexes in Galveston. And there's some young people that are ready to go do good work. But guess what? Every week in Temple, Texas, there are apartments where some of those same kids are going and doing good work. See, we want to be a people who are prepared to do the work God has called us to do. So Nehemiah is prepared. He's ready to go. See, he is not just concerned and he's not just contrite. He's not just consistent in his thinking, but he's also convinced that there's a mission that he will be used by God to accomplish. So he travels just like Zerubbabel decades before had taken 50,000 people, just like Ezra about 12 years before had taken 5,000 people, Nehemiah and a very small group of men go and they travel to Jerusalem and he's there for three days and verse 11 and then it says, I arose in the night and a few men with me and I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. He's just going to do the mission of God and he's not really telling anybody about it. And then he describes, I went by this gate and the dung gate and I did this and this. And it it just reads like, well, okay, where is that church? Oh, it's the one behind Big Lots next to Thornton. He's describing these places you wouldn't know if you haven't been to Jerusalem. But the people will know as they're reading. And he goes through and he sees places in ruins, some that his animal can't even get through. And he's ready for action. He's not knowing what he's going to see. As I read that, I went out not knowing what I was going to see. I just thought about how God has called people to this very thing over and over and over again. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going to go. Moses walks back into Egypt at 80 years old, not knowing what awaits him there. David goes to the battle to take his brothers a sandwich and he, he's not knowing what he's gonna see or what his day is about to look like. God has always, call, always called his people and he'll call our Ukrainian brothers to go back into cities not knowing what they're going to see. And he calls us sometimes to serve at soup kitchens, to serve at pregnancy centers, to walk across the street to a neighbor who might not know Christ and we don't know what's gonna happen. But we go Because just like with Nehemiah, the good hand of God is on us. So finally, some officials see him. In verse 17, he says, You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates are burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. In verse 18, Nehemiah says, I told them the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and the words the king had spoken to me and they said, let us rise up and build. And I love this line, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. 
See, they see it and they say, let us rise up and build. Well, Zerubbabel, he's a, he's a governor, so it makes sense that he would go. Ezra, he's a priest. It makes sense that he would go. Nehemiah is cupbearer of the king. He's just a regular guy who says, we got to rise and build. And the people with him say, yes, let's do this because the good hand of God was on them. Well, you might say, well, right, but Chase, is, is the good hand of God on us? Well, there's better news than that, right? See, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming and he was explaining that this ministry of the Messiah was going to grow and grow and grow, he described Jesus and he said, he utters the words of God and he gives the spirit without measure. So if you're his, if you're in Christ, if you are part of God's people, you've come to know and understand that forgiveness is found in and only in Jesus Christ, that the reason he came to earth and lived and died and rose from the dead was so that we all might have life in him, the only way of salvation. He gives the spirit without measure and so they rise and build. They strengthen their hands for good works. We are told that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now I'd love to tell you that this story of Nehemiah ends really, really well, but, but it doesn't. It doesn't. See, Zerubbabel comes, they start building the temple, their work gets sidetracked, their mission doesn't get accomplished, then Ezra comes, they repent, they start building the temple to, to finish the work, it doesn't quite get finished, Nehemiah comes in to build the wall, he repents, and then the temple gets rebuilt. This was supposed to be the moment, that's the place, that's the place where God's people, we've got his presence, a purpose, and the place where he dwells, but his presence wasn't there. See, 35 years later, things will have gotten so bad that there's silence. God doesn't speak for 400 years in the temple. That's, that's Israel's story though, isn't it? I mean, he, he delivers them from Egypt and then they build a golden calf and turn from him. They see David kill Goliath that the whole world may know there's a God in Israel and then just a, a bit later in their history, the glory has departed. They build a house where God's glory will dwell. But then they abandon that house in the worship of God. They're cast into exile. They come back and they get the temple again and there's silence for 400 years because Israel needs a Messiah. They need a savior just like the whole world does. And so when we look at Nehemiah, we don't tend to look at him as a type of Christ, but goodness he is. See, Nehemiah is concerned for the needs of others. He weeps for the needs of others. He goes to the Father on behalf of the needs of others and he makes a plan to secure the people of God. But one comes after him 400 years later, Jesus who comes to earth to seek and to save that which is lost. He's concerned for our needs so much so that he leaves heaven and comes and lives a perfect life and dies a sinless death and he weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. Like Nehemiah wept over Jerusalem. And instead of asking a, a king for timber to build a house and build the fortress, he takes timber on himself and puts it on his shoulders 
and he dies so that the veil in that quiet temple was torn in two and all who would hope in him would be ushered into the presence of God freely and now he's building something beautiful again called the church he's a cornerstone and I believe he would say to us today in your city in your state uh, across the world with your partners rise and build and strengthen your hands so would you consider what's the good work God would call you to What would he call us to together as we strengthen our hands to rise and build? Let's ask him. God, would you help us to see? Would you help us to know? Would you guide us to good work in Christ that you've created us for? God, I suspect for most of us, it's right in front of us. We probably see it and know it. You've told us, God, that we're to make disciples, that we're to love you more than anything with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourself. Strengthen our hands, God. Give your spirit without measure that we might be a people in Christ who do the work we're called to do in our city yet again, God. We yearn for you and we long for you. We know we can't do it without you. So hear our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.